0: another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. On today's show, I am going to be going through a movie that at first I was extremely disappointed with. You'll all kind of figure it out when I start talking about it. It was one of those movies where the expectations were set so incredibly high that it was actually unfair to the actors and writers and directors involved. Um, Especially the lead actress in this point. This is now the third time I've seen this movie. First time I saw it was opening weekend in theaters. I left the theaters going, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. Now, maybe if I was rating it on like a 5 out of 10, maybe leaving the theaters, it was like a 6 out of 10. But I thought I was setting myself up to not be disappointed by having such low expectations. In this case, Wonder Woman is what we'll be talking about it was more the history with some of the dc movies uh recent dc movies i guess we'll call them post christopher nolan dc movies they're just not good i mean i i i don't like being a guy who just constantly wants to bash on dc and their lack of like exceptional movie making i don't i don't understand it i don't get it i don't you know, like I said, I just don't get how they can't do it. Not even copying Marvel's plan, because you don't want to do that. But at the same point, you are allowed to have fun while filming these movies. And watching these movies, it honestly seems like no one is having fun. No one is enjoying themselves. No one is thinking of this as a comic book movie. They're thinking this as a dramatic thriller. And it's not. It's not. I I, it's it's not. I don't care how violent you try to make it. I don't care how serious the tone of the movie is, it's a comic book. Plain and simple, it's a comic book. Maybe filming movies like that, like with Blade, worked, but you're talking twenty plus years ago or about twenty years ago. Comic book movies in general were different back then. They weren't looked at as the same light as they are now. They weren't expected to gross six or seven or eight hundred million dollars every single movie. They weren't expected to that like they are now. And now a lot of movies are expected to make more than that. It's an era where moviegoers like myself, I don't go watch horror movies and psychological thrillers and thinkers is what I like to call them. I don't go to a movie to watch a thinker. If I have to think too hard about what I'm watching on film, I am not enjoying myself. You can call me a simple person if you want. But that's how I see movies. That's how uh, films keep my attention. Is If I'm being entertained, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm taking two, two and a half hours out of my day, out of my night, out of my week, out of my month that I don't have to go see a movie. And I just want to be entertained. I want to have a good time. And if I'm sitting there trying to pick through the plot while watching the movie for the first time or trying to understand what's going on Or sitting here going, man, you know, they probably could have done this better, It could have done that better. Usually I'll try to pick a movie apart after the second or third or fourth or fifth time watching it. But when I'm doing it in theaters, that's not good. And that's what I found myself doing during Wonder Woman. I was, I was never like, I always liked Gal Gadot's casting. I thought she looked the part. And I always talk about an actor's dedication to the role. And you can really see it on screen when they really, really, really get into the role with uh, everything leading up to production. You know, in Gal's case, you know, she trained for like nine months and gained 17 pounds of raw muscle just to, to be Wonder Woman, to be Diana Prince. Going into the movies, I see that and I know that. And I'm like... I'll give it the benefit of the doubt knowing that the star of the movie really put in the time. It's sad because with the other DC movies, I love Ben Affleck as Batman. Batfleck. I love it. He's so good in that role. It's kind of one of those situations where if he was given more... You could tell that he's not given a lot of lenience or that the writing... just If he was given more ways to express himself and to kind of bring in a little of his natural humor, because he is a funny dude... Not saying that it needs to be a slapstick comedy or anything, but I think that's why people enjoy the Marvel movies so much, too, is that they are are fun. You don't need, like I said, you don't need dramatic thrillers and superheroes. It's hokey. It's corny. It doesn't work. It just doesn't. In this case, there are some moments of this movie that I still don't like. But the main reason I'm talking about it is because there has... I have had an about-face on this movie a little more, where it is 100% my favorite post-Nolan DC movie. 100%. You know, by quite a large margin, actually. I kind of like that because it's not your usual superhero where... You know, how many times have we seen Bruce Wayne's parents die? I mean, seriously. How many times have we seen Superman's origin story with Krypton? It's like... That's what was so cool about Spider Man Homecoming is that there was like three seconds of dialogue about him getting bit by a spider and did it hurt. That was it. We don't need to be beaten over the head with another origin story. But Wonder Woman, we really don't know her origin story unless you really know the comics better or unless you know the television series from the 70s, you know, or you know like the little B movies that they've made over the years. Learning her origin story was a treat for me because I really am interested in her character. You know, I'm interested in you know the Greek mythology behind uh, her people. You know, I I I've read about the Amazons and you know their their place in Greek mythology. You know, it's 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 a really neat subject to go over. And while not overly enjoying the movie the first time, you know, we watched it last night. Even my wife's kind of looking at me, going, you know, some of this is kind of kind of hokey. You know, some of it's kind of meh. And she doesn't say that during, you know, Ragnarok or Homecoming, you know. So, and she's not the, you know, the biggest fan of these comic book movies. Mm She enjoys them, but she doesn't get into them like like I do or like my brother-in-law does or like some of my friends do, you know, where we're like fully invested in the series. So, you know, there are certain points of the movie where it does get a little kind of like, you know, you're like, You know, trying to like, you know, like you feel bad for what you're watching, which is sad. But uh, there are some really good parts of this movie. So while talking about the parts that I don't like, I am going to try and uh, focus on the parts that I do like. Because like I said, the whole point of me doing this podcast is talking about movies that I enjoy and not movies that I dislike. All right. We We actually had a pretty decent cast in this movie, too. So, I mean, like I said, we had the aforementioned Gal Gadot. We have Chris Pine playing Captain Steve Trevor, who, di- who did a good job. Um, Chris Pine's a good actor. Danny Houston played General Ludendorff, the German general. He was awesome. He did a really good job. David Thewlis, uh, who some of you will know from the Harry Potter series, he played Sir Patrick and eventually is revealed as Ares, the God of War. While a good actor and while his acting and his role was good, his character in this movie wasn't really super believable. And it was kind of one of those things where I think they chose somebody that could act the part more than look the part. And yes, there are certain times where that's good because you don't want somebody that's just stone-faced terrible at acting. But, uh, I, you know, he's a great actor, but it just, I, I, when they revealed it the first time I saw this movie, I'm like, are you kidding me? It wasn't even that I was shocked because I really wasn't. I'm sitting here going, this guy? This guy's the god of war? I'm like, okay, um, sure. You know, I mean, maybe there was a little too much Harry Potter in this with the uh, good guy, bad guy, and casting and all that. And then you also had uh, Elena Anaya as Dr. Maru and Dr. Poison. Um, she did great. I just wish there was more development with her character. I wish there was more backstory. I wish there was just more to her, because basically throughout the movie, she's just Ludendorff's lackey, and that's about it. She's a chemist for the German army, And that's, like I said, I mean, she's kind of the reason a lot of this stuff's happening in the movie. She's the one developing all these weapons of mass destruction and the mustard gas. And, you know, she's just trying to kill everyone she can. And you're, you're, you know, it's just, I kind of wanted to know more about her. And they didn't really tell us. Um, The movie was also directed by Patty Jenkins, who I'm not overly familiar with. So I'm not going to talk like I am. But uh, from what I understand, people were very, very excited and very happy that she was chosen for this. So I'm going to go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, they tried to hire her like 20 years ago and it didn't work or 10 years ago and it didn't work. So they got her again and they got the woman they wanted. So good for them. The screenplay was written by Alan Heinberg and the story (sighs) was written by Zack Snyder. And I have a long exaggerated sigh because the post-Christopher Nolan DC has been, um, I don't know how I want to say this without it sounding terrible, but I guess they were like sneakily infected by the Zack Snyder virus because there's just, there's, it's kind of like Michael Bay now where it's a lot of substance or a lot of, you know, stuff on screen, but there's no substance in underneath So, you know, there's, it's just, there's a, an underlying trend that has these movies like connected to Zack Snyder and I just don't like it. And I saw that he wrote the story and I'm like, okay, well, if he wrote the story, then he doesn't have a lot to do with the actual production of the movie. So maybe I won't hate this movie as much as Batman versus Superman. Um, and well, and then eventually Justice League, but that, that's a whole nother disaster. Anyways, uh, the movie itself had a $149 million budget and it grossed an incredible $821 million. Obviously this movie was a world si- worldwide success. And I don't like, I don't have to like all movies that make lots of money. That is, uh, that's, there's no law in that I'm allowed to dislike movies that do well in the popular vote, I guess we can call it. The other thing with this movie is the humor, or lack thereof. And it's not that they didn't try, because they did. Where there's like, I've talked on prior podcasts, especially with like the action-adventure movies and like some of the the comedic parts in those movies, is that there is a lot of improv. And I like it when it works. (laughs) And if it doesn't work, I'm kind of confused why the editor left it in the movie. Like you have the horrible, horrible boat scene where it's just Diana and Steve in the boat and they're mumbling and talking about the reproductive system of a human being. And I'm sitting here going, like looking at my wife, my wife, who I have been with for 12 years, I'm looking at her like uncomfortably sitting next to my own wife. That's, that's bad for those of you who, you know, they're like, well, you know, no, it's not good. I'm sitting next to my brother-in-law and my brother in the theaters and we look at each other and we're we're all in our mid 30s mid to late 30s some of us and we're sitting there looking at each other going i don't I'm not I'm not really comfortable sitting next to you right now I'm not and you know I know them better than most people on earth and this' it's it's not good when a movie can make you feel that way and it's not even supposed to be that kind of movie it's not supposed to be some horrible like you know murder scene with guts and blood and, you know, just disgusting. You know, you're just, you're sitting here going, like, I remember feeling that way watching American History X. Thank you. So, you know, uh, you know, well, while it ended up being a, 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 you know, a great movie in its own way, there were scenes in that movie that made me very uncomfortable. Well, it was supposed to. That was the, d- that was the design of the movie. The idea of the movie was to make you uncomfortable. Wonder Woman should not make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, come on. The pleasures of the flesh is what they were calling it. I mean, I couldn't eye roll hard enough. If I did, my eyes would literally be in my brain, you know, me trying to roll them so hard. So the one, but, you know, there are parts of this movie that were cool and you had the beach battle, which took like four weeks, I think. And they were doing uh, two different crews, like six cameras, and they did them all at different times of the week. So they had to splice them together in the studio, or in the, uh, you know, the editor had to splice them together in uh, post production. So you're sitting here going, I mean, that scene was good. They did really well with that. And um, the scenes of Diana as a kid. And just her origin there, the, the actress that played young Diana did very well. Uh, Robin Wright was phenomenal as the general of the Amazons. And of course, we know her as Buttercup from The Princess Bride, or at least that's where I first got a glimpse at Robin Wright. So she's still awesome. So like I said, this movie wasn't a, to- <laughs> I, it wasn't a total disaster. And I guess that's me trying to be as nice as I can. But uh, it was more entertaining the second and third times around. And going back to Gal Gadot's preparation for this movie and just her dedication to the character, um, what I didn't know and what was actually kind of cool while researching for this show is that um, it's very common nowadays for them to go back and do reshoots. A lot of movies do it. Not all movies. It's a good thing. But some movies it is. Like, I think the more complex the story and the more going on within the story the better the there it is to do reshoots because you can see the movie not you but the uh, people behind the scenes making the movie can see the movie in its entirety and go we need to add this we need to do this differently this you know it's kind of like when i'm writing a book and that's what the editing process is for now when i edit books i don't just like fix little mistakes i will add and subtract content and if i see like a scene is too slow or there isn't maybe enough information in a scene and it's too fast that it's just kind of like a hodgepodge of action, I'll slow down and go through and try to add more information to help kind of balance out that scene. And that's how I write books. I really don't write books in chapters. I write them in scenes. And it ends up being a more or less a chapter is a scene. And that's just in my head because I write like I'm writing a movie, or at least I'm picturing the movie in my head. So when you get these reshoots, and usually it's for the better. And it's, in this case, uh, while doing the reshoots, Gal was actually five months pregnant at the time during the reshoots, and she was very pregnant because she's tall and lean, and a five-month pregnant tall and lean woman would usually show, uh, you know, pregnancy-wise uh, more than some. So uh, they actually had a green-screened costume where her midsection was green-screened, and later they went back and digitally removed her pregnant belly. That's kind of cool. I never thought about doing something like that or thinking about doing something like that with actors. That was, that was kind of neat. And then, I mean, this kind of goes to why Wonder Woman was, not to why Wonder Woman was such a success, but to uh, it helped, was that Wonder Woman, I mean, we don't have a lot of lead female superheroes. We don't, or female action heroes in general, not just superheroes. When do you ever think of somebody getting their tummy uh, green-screened out of a movie? I mean, never, because, I mean, you know, when you look at the masculinity that is action movies, usually they're big buff dudes, and uh, they don't need anything green-screened out. I just thought that was really neat how they could go back and do that. Now, of course, it doesn't surprise me, because, I mean, technology being what it is, you know, it's like, what can't they do? You know, it's just just really neat. It's kind of sad, but it's uh, interesting to talk about, is that this movie was actually banned In a lot of Middle Eastern countries, and mostly because Gal Gadot herself is Israeli, I I I'm like, man, it's 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 a movie. She doesn't portray an Israeli in this movie. She portrays basically like an Italian. I mean, more or less, you know, when you're when you're looking at the or Greek and you know that whole Mediterranean, you know, uh, background. You know, she's not Israeli in this movie. You know, she's not an Israeli. Wonder Woman superhero she is Diana Prince princess of Themyscira so you're like you're like man it's it's just but when you you know you read about it and you talk about it and it's it's pretty incredible that a person's background regardless if it's related on screen or not is trouble to some people and that's that's really, and I'm not talking about like sexual orientation or uh, really beliefs in general, because it's not like you know, hey, he's a Christian, I'm not, I'm not going to go see the movie, or he's an atheist and I'm a Christian, I'm not going to go see that movie. She's Israeli, but she plays somebody that's more Greek Italian, and they still wouldn't support it. It's it's it just it boggles the mind, I guess, and uh, maybe that's just because I really don't care (laughs) i'm just here for entertainment guys i'm just here for uh some good times one thing that was always kind of odd especially during the first time that i saw the movie was that chris pine actually has a wristwatch and the more you look at it and the more you kind of like see it you're kind of going well it's not really a wristwatch it's it's a watch it's a timepiece but it's actually a pocket watch on a strap of leather or cloth that is worn on the wrist. So yeah, theoretically, it's a wristwatch, but it's really not. And what was kind of cool is uh, reading about this is that during the war, in this case, World War One, timing was everything when it came to these attacks, because you had to make sure that your soldiers were in place or not in place, depending on if it was close to the front line. And that's where, you know, you were shelling the enemy. But you know, in pocket watches, they would come loose, they would break off, they would make too much noise as the soldiers were running. So they developed a strap that the watch could be attached to. And then when the soldiers came home and the war ended, watch companies started making things called wristwatches. I really thought that was kind of cool, is that wartime like this developed something that, A, I'm wearing right now, I wear a watch every day, but B, something that just about everyone wears, and or is just a huge fashion thing, but it's also a usable, usable uh, tool that most of us rely on heavily. Now, of course, you have watches on your phone, but, you know, you have time on your phone. But I just thought it was cool that a wristwatch was actually devised by the uh, World War I military. That was just kind of cool. I just, you know, again, I just thought that was neat. So why not talk about it? So like I mentioned earlier, Patty Jenkins was actually up to direct this movie uh, a few years back, and I believe it was 2005, if I'm reading my notes correctly. My handwriting's really bad today. But she stepped down due to a pregnancy, and uh, the next person that they went after in 2005 for this movie was actually Josh Whedon. And you're sitting here going, what? I mean, the guy that's literally responsible for the Avengers-era Marvel movies? (laughs) You're kind of like... Um imagine if they got him. Imagine if Josh Waden was making DC movies in the mid 2000s, you know, in 2005 and 2000, you know, whenever the, you know, the others started coming out. Uh imagine if he did this and imagine if he was, you know, attached with Christopher Nolan doing the Batman movies or maybe he was doing them instead or who knows. You know, but the the point is, imagine if the guy that is literally him and Kevin Feige are the godfathers of the Avengers movies. Imagine if he maybe never started doing Marvel movies. I mean, just when you think about, like I said, I always talk about how lucky we are as a viewing audience when we get the right director, the right writer, and the right actor or actress together in a single movie, and you can't fathom it being different. Josh Whedon is a part of that if he is not a part of the MCU ever, the MCU is not as big as it is. Guaranteed. I mean, you can mark that down, guaranteed. That if he is not involved in them, these movies aren't as big as they are. And maybe it flipped. Maybe if he's with DC, maybe they're the, the big dog, you know, on campus right now with, these mar- with the um, superhero movies. So I just thought that was really interesting and that he left, he was not fired. He left because of creative differences with the hierarchy within DC. How laughable is that? The reason this guy is so good is because of his creativity. I just, I cannot believe that. Maybe they missed out on something, but hey, you know what? The DC movies still make a ton of money. There's a crowd out there that loves them. I'll still go see them. I have a little bit lower expectations, but I'll go see them. I just I just thought that was so ridiculous that he was a part of this movie at one point. And before I get out of here, I do want to talk about my favorite part of this movie, and it is hand down when they are crossing the front lines to try and save the people of Veld. I think the town is, the village that's been occupied by German uh, soldiers. And when she steps out of the trenches and reveals herself, it's just like, okay. You know, there there is some, there is some truth and lividity to this character where you're just like, this is going to be cool. You know, And then she starts taking on the enemy soldiers' fire, which gives the uh, good guy troops. I'm not sure who it actually is at this point. I know it's American. I know it's British. Uh, there's a lot of um, mixed uh, cultures fighting together during this war. I know more World War II than World War I, sorry. But uh, that scene was really awesome. And she's taking the fire... And then, you know, and then the machine guns open up and she just ducks down and kneels down behind the shield and just takes it and takes it and takes it and takes it. But it frees up all of the other soldiers to rush the enemies. That scene was awesome. That scene, it was really well shot. It was really well done. Gal did such an amazing job. Like, that's what, that's this movie. She did so good. You know, that the first time I saw this movie, the reason I was more impressed than I was going in was because of Gal Gadot. And her job, she's uh, she did really well. And then seeing it a third time now, I'm even more impressed, especially with the emotion when tr- when Steve Trevor dies at the end. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I hope you've seen these movies because I'm going to spoil the crap out of them. Um, but when he dies at the end, and she's heartbroken and screaming on the uh, uh, uh on the ground at the airport on the tarmac, and breaks through the the chains and breaks through the uh, the couplings or whatever the metal things are that Ares traps are in. You know, you can, you can believe the emotion in her. And then when she's looking at the photo at the end of the movie back in the modern day and you can see that she still misses him and that she still has feelings for Steve Trevor, somebody that has now been dead for almost 100 years, you know, you're sitting here going, you believe it, you, you get it, you understand it. And it's, you know, props to Gal Gadot on her job doing this movie. And props to Gal Gadot and the writers and directors of this movie for not having her do the spinny clothes change. Because, thankfully, it didn't happen. I didn't want to see any twirling clothes costume change. Instead, she just wore her battle suit and her battle armor underneath her clothes. Well, that's an easy change. So, thank you for that. And thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Movies with Matt. If you have not already, please, please, please subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, Rate and review the show as well. The more ratings and reviews that go out, the more subscriptions I get, the more this show is advertised on accident. I don't have to do a lot of it. So yay. Please do that. Um, I really do like just doing this as a hobby. But uh, gaining more audience, uh, gaining a bigger audience and more listeners is also fun. Uh, it also makes me want to do it even more and even more often because I know there's more people listening than like 10 people. <laughs> so I know there's more than that listening right now. But if it's if it's the same set of ears for every single show, it's kind of what we you would call beating a dead horse at this point. At this point, I'm just talking to myself. So I really do appreciate the hardcore audience out there, the people that do come out on social media and uh, email and really like congratulate me on a new show and that uh, they really liked listening to it. So it really does make me feel good and it really does make me want to do this show more and more. So uh, thank you for that and thanks for listening and have a good one.